And I'm Karen Wright. It is 9.36. Joining me now, my good friend, Master Gardener, Barb Lamson. Good morning, Barb. Hey, Karen. It's another beautiful sunny day, and the snow is melting. It sure is. Yeah, it's going to get up to 52, and then we're going to have 60s, so I think most of it will be gone by next week, and then the rain's going to wash it away. Oh, that will be great. Hey, the good news today, we're, you know, March, we're celebrating Women's History Month, and it is so exciting to read about women who have done amazing things during probably a very difficult time in history. And the two women we're talking about today are uh, uh, Minna Hall and her cousin, Harriet Lawrence Hemingway. And they were women uh, of society. They were born into rich, rich families. But for whatever reason, and we don't know, they said, you know, why are we wearing these plumes, these feathers in our hats from, from rare birds, and what's going to happen to them if we continue this style and these birds will be hunted to extinction? And just with that thought in mind, they started having tea parties and gatherings and, and expressing this to their women friends. And they would get out on the street, and they would march, and they would boycott stores that sold these hats with big plumes in them. Now, women didn't stop wearing hats. They loved their hats, but they stopped wearing hats that had plumes in them. And finally, with the support um, of Congress, they were able to get a bill passed uh, so that it was illegal to kill these birds at, anymore. And and that was a great thing for Massachusetts, for the rest of the country. And also they started in Massachusetts the first Audubon Society for that state. And people became more aware of that we have a responsibility to fu- future generations to preserve what we have today. So the plumes went the way of the furs, essentially. Yes, but maybe even more so because you see people nowadays, they still Mm. will, there still are some people that are still wearing furs or fur trim things, but yes, exactly. So it was a women's movement, and I think it's really important to to, uh, remind ourselves of how just people, just with a passion for something, how they've been able to change history and save all these birds. And I was thinking about that with our, with our lawns. We, we had a bulletin about uh, lawn care, and it said now when the snow melts, if you see large patches of dead grass, it might be caused by the June bug or June beetle because their larvae live in the roots of our grass, and they eat and eat, And unlike the Japanese beetle, they stay in that stage of being larvae for three whole years. So once you get them, they're there, and they're just eating and eating and eating. And then, of course, now we do have the June, the the Japanese beetle. They live in the roots and eat for one year, and then they mature and they fly off. But one of the things that we are supposed to do is if you find you have this condition, 
you can you can have them treated, but you should concentrate on prevention. And that June beetle, like the Japanese beetle, they like this really pristine pristine grass, turf grass. And so don't cut your grass so terribly short because that stresses the grass and the grass can't handle also these insects chewing at their roots. So that would be one thing. Absolutely do not um, fertilize that stressed grass because it can't uptake that. It really needs to be fertilized in the fall. And then the fertilizer is there, it's available, and the grasses can take them up as they need them. So just a couple of things to remember. And also don't overwater them. I was also going to say the other damage we're seeing as the snow melts is from voles and things that are crawling under the grass, those tunnels and things. And now I noticed there were some in the the lawn last year, so I used uh, vole there's a vole and mole repellent, and it's it's something that's non-harmful to other things and not a chemical. Um, it's it's a smelly thing that kind of deters <coughs> them. And this this spring, I did not notice that they had been under the the snow, so I think that may have repelled them. Of course, where they go is the neighbor's house, but you know, <laughs> right? right. So I you, don't know why this is more of a problem. We used to see this in the country, right. but not so much in our lawns in town. Uh, so I don't know how they've gotten so. Um, out of control because you know I've had them in my garden too and the thing of it is they eat my bulbs my spring bulbs. Oh and they love if you have vegetables they love to eat the root vegetables as well which I've had a problem with too. Yeah right well you know we have a little cat in the neighborhood that comes around and visits and this morning when I went to take out the, the newspaper I could see these muddy little tracks on my steps coming up to my door and I've spotted this cat. It's very healthy. It's not uh, a feral cat. It, it's being loved. But it must take its little um, walk out in the morning and check out places. And But I wish that we had a cat that would be after these uh, uh, nasty voles that we have. Maybe that would do it. I don't well, know. Well, I know the repellent stuff that I got, vole and mole repellent stuff. Like I said, you put it in their tunnels. And actually rake their tunnels. Not you know, you shouldn't be raking things right now, but in the fall no. I did. And then you place it there and, and the smell kind of just you put it closest to the house and then it dries them a little farther out and you keep driving them out till they're off your, mm-hmm. your property, which is what I did. So I started by the house and the holes, you know, the little trails I saw there and I just kept going out. And so so far across my fingers knock on wood, I haven't seen them yet. But um in this winter I didn't seem to get the damage. So maybe Maybe it worked. I, that's the first time I tried it was last fall, so I'm hoping sure, so. Sure, sure. Well, in the perennial garden, where it's easier to dig up a piece of their tunnel, you just where it's raised, if you just go down, if you take a probe, you push the probe into the ground, and you will, you'll find their tunnel very easily because all of a sudden that probe just goes down. You can tell that you've hit empty empty soil there i mean it just goes right down in make that a little bit bigger and then you would drop your pellets or whatever you were using in there and that repels them last year i did a couple of different things i used i read that if you used um um what would it be called like um uh you know like a brillo scrubby pad yeah yeah steel wool or something like that yeah, but you don't use it with the soap. You use the kind that's because that 
They don't like that in their tunnels. It prevents them from moving around, and they can't move that. Okay. So I I did that. And the other thing that I did, I mean, this is so bad. I found an area where they were exiting, and I dug that deeper. And there had been something in my yard that had defecated, and I gathered that up, and I plugged that hole up with that. I thought, okay, maybe this is a raccoon or something like that. And I put it all in there, and I put soil on top of that, and that hole was never opened up again. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, there you go. So something. Hey, do you know it is maple syruping time? Uh, You know, we were always on the farm. We did the maple syruping, maple sapping when the trees run because the the days are warmer, the the nights still need to be cold. But... Mm -hmm. So it's a great time to learn about it, and I noticed that the the landscape Minnesota Landscape Arboretum up in Chaska is going to be having a Maple Fest Pancakes to Go. It's on next Saturday, not this Saturday, but on March 27th. It's an annual celebration of the maple syrup season, and it's a bit different because of the state health regulations, but they still have an opportunity for you to participate. You have to pre-register if you want to do pancake orders. Um, so I guess the, the, the date to register for the pancake orders is the 21st, so that this Sunday. But the event itself is on Saturday, March 27th, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. And uh, th- they have a to-go menu, couple pancakes, couple sausage links with a vegetarian option, pure <coughs> maple syrup and butter. And that's one of their fundraising events, so it does cost a little bit, and the proceeds go toward the general operating budget of the Arboretum. But if you want to know more, go to the Minnesota Landscape Arboretum, and uh, you can sign up and find out more. But it's uh, next next weekend, and, and so uh, they say that they'll have March in the Maples, which is a free online program. It's called the Sweet Journey from Sap to Syrup, and that's free and online. And that will be available, start, started March 1st through the 31st, so you can go and click on that and see a, a presentation about how they actually make the syrup. So I just thought that'd be f- something fun for people who are not familiar with that process. Absolutely. And you know, it's an outdoor thing, and that is so much fun when they're, when they're uh, fixing food and doing things, and you can smell the food, and you get your plate, and you can be outside. I, I just, I, I love that. I do know that we have several people in our area, um, the Region 9 area, and they also gather mm-hmm. sap so uh, and make it into maple syrup. Uh, you might check um, with people that you know in the country and find out if, if they're doing it and if you can watch them, any part of it, whether it's the gathering of it or it's the cooking it down and making it into the syrup. And, and then I do know that we find that uh, very often at our farmer's market we can buy maple syrup and that's really a joy to get that and it doesn't there is no comparison between that and buying syrup that's um the fake stuff yeah yeah oh for sure yeah made it's that stuff is so full of sugar i i i love maple syrup. oh so I do i love it I would eat it on everything, including ice cream. Oh, that's my favorite is ice cream, (laughs) for sure. Absolutely. Hey, Barb, you you know, and you're part of this group, too. You know what else is going on this weekend is the North Star Lily Society on Saturday is having its, its meeting and an educational presentation. And I always love these because you can uh, join online now and it it makes it easy. So it's the spring meeting of the North Star Lily Society, which is Minnesota State Society. And it's really reasonable to be a member. 
and uh, you can sign up. Uh, and there's going to be a presentation on on uh, uh, one of the major developers of Lily's. In uh, his name was Bob Greisbach, so it's going to be called uh, the Greisbach <laughs> Bob Greisbach's legacy lives on, and it'll be a presentation about the the history and how they developed it. So, and they also have a spring bulb sale online now. So, FYI. I'm just pushing it at the North American Lily Society. Go to yes. NorthStarLilySociety.com. And I know you're a member, and I don't know if you're going to come this to the meeting this um, Saturday. It's at 1230 membership meeting and the 130 presentation by Art Evans. And uh, Grant is on the board now, so we'll be there for okay. sure. And where is that at, Karen? Online. Okay. Go to NorthStarLilySociety.com, and then you have to... Sign up to get that link, and they'll send you the link so you can just sit it in your home and watch it on your computer in the comfort of your own home. Oh, well, that's a great idea. You know, <clears throat> I have found that belonging to a society of people that are interested in something, you get so much good information because they, they love to share with you what works, but they love to share with you their plans. what their experience has been. <laughs> and, and their plans. <laughs> Yeah, and, and what didn't work, they're, they're very, they understand, and you understand that, you know, it's not a success every time. Things don't always go no. as planned, that's for sure. Yeah, so it's, it's well worth belonging to any of those organizations, and, and uh, they're not money-making organizations by any means. So uh, by having a membership there... It helps support them. So that's great. Yeah. yeah. So that's just something coming up. So there are things you can do. And I like it now. You don't have to go anyplace. So if you don't feel safe, like I haven't received the, the vaccination shot yet, uh, and some people have. And mm-hmm. so they just want to make sure that it's accessible to everybody. And I think more people are able to come because of that. I, I agree with you. <clears throat> and when you think of this, why didn't we think about doing this before? Because look at it. It saves on the environment. People aren't driving in their, in their cars. You are not polluting the air. This is this is a great thing. This is really a step forward, I would say. Although my uh, my um, brother-in-law and his wife are up from Albuquerque, we just saw them last night. They're up for a funeral um, this this week, and uh, they said that the lack of people driving has really affected their economy in their states because they rely on heavily on fracking, and so yeah. now they were complaining that because of that. It's been really tough for them. So, you know, there's a silver lining, and then there's always <laughs> something yeah. else. So, you know, that's <laughs> why it's... Minuses and pluses. And, you know, the thing of it is, it makes us realize we have to do do better. Alternatives, with, right. Yeah, yeah. Better alternatives. That That's exactly right. Yep, you're right. Um, you know, the, I since I've been in the house and couldn't be outside, I spend more time with my plants and things. And um, I, I've been taking some cuttings. Last um, November, December, when I was in Georgia, I had brought some cuttings from a, a plant that I had bought last year locally here. And it's it, they still call it a wandering Jew, but it's a special. It's a special one. It's not your normal one, and it's called the. Um, I mean, the Zabrina. Zabrina pendula discolor and tricolor wandering jew that's the name and it has the green leaves and when you hold it up to the light you can see this purpley maroon color in them and it has a season where it starts getting 
the green starts fading in spots, like it'll be about the size of a, oh, like a pea, and it'll start, and that'll become white, and then that will spread, and then it will turn to pink, and that pink, and there's still green on the leaf, it looks like an orchid. It's just Mm. so pretty. And now that's I, a that's a house plant, right? It is a house plant, but you can use it outside. And actually, I bought it to as a filler plant in some pots I had in the shade, and it worked really, really well there. I was just, I was just so pleased with it. It it didn't have any nothing bothered it. There weren't insects or anything that were eating on it. It didn't get a disease. <clears throat> and and I've taken cuttings in, and they have been really very easy for me to root. But I found out that if, if the right place to make the cutting off from a branch is where the new leaf just came out. There's like, you know, there's a swollen, like a nodule. Right. When you look at the, at the stem itself, you'll see there's a little nodule, and then that's where the next leaf is coming. Well, you cut it out. You take that leaf off because you don't want the leaf in water, and you, and you cut it just below that nodule. And then that's where the new roots come. So um, here I had these things in water, and uh, there'd be about an inch and a half, and nothing happened on there. But where the new leaf was supposed to come out, that's where the roots came out. So, um, you know, it's trial and error here. You don't always get it right the first time. So my daughter said, you know, the next time you come, would you bring me some more of those? And I said, sure. And that's very easy to do. Um, I brought them and potted them up after I got them there. Now she she's in Georgia, so she can grow them outside as as regular. All year long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, gotcha. That's right. That's right. Hey, there we got are. a we got a question from a listener here, Good. Uh, from Kimberly. She says, um, "I am hoping you can direct me to someone I can talk with about composting, looking at the bins that turn." So I know you're uh-huh. you're a big composter, and so maybe you have some thoughts. And I also want to tell Kimberly that. Contact your uh, extension service. We're in Blue Earth County, so it would be the Blue Earth County Extension Service or whatever county you happen to be in. And you contact them via phone, and they can get you great information, and they've also got a great online uh, yes. site as yeah. well. But, but Barb, why don't you talk a little bit about She's thinking of the bins that you turn. Now, you and I both have ones that are on the ground that we turn ourselves. So what are your thoughts? Right. So she's thinking of, of, of like our friend Harvey does, he uses his front loader. No, no, it. no, no. I think she's thinking of ones that it's like a, it's like a, it's like our oh, rain oh, barrels, oh, except I you, you, it, it, it spins. Air in yeah. A round barrel like thing. Yeah. You know, I can tell you one thing. Um, I've known two people that had them. Uh, I had a friend who had them. And, you know, a, a lot of times it, it's hard to generalize because some people are doing things exactly right. They know what they're doing. They're putting in the dark materials, which are the carbon, which it needs. They're putting in the green materials, which is the nitrogen, which it needs. And then they're they're putting in moisture, and they're spinning them. You just you don't have to spin them often, but you know it would be like if you were going in with your fork to uh, 
to turn things over. Well, that's what that, you take, have a crank and you turn that around. But they're so, limited in how much they can hold. That would be the thing that would be hard for me because <laughs> I have so much stuff. But if you don't have a lot, maybe you just have your household food items or something, um, that probably would work better. But I know you and I have piles where you have to turn it with yeah. a fork. And when you have quite a bit like we do, because I use, you know, leaf mm-hmm. matter yep. and... So and, do I. Yep, but, all of that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, you know, the thing of it is, though, if you're doing it right... With this composting bin like that, you're going to get compost in Quickly. six weeks. Yeah, true, it's, true. It's going to be much faster than the way we're doing it. So um, if she's got space and if she wants to try that, um, yeah, you know, that's that. she might want to, want to do that. But I, I think there's much more expense involved with buying that setup than there is when you do it on the ground and just use you know, boards on three sides to hold it in place and then just turn it with a fork. But if she's in a smaller space, maybe she doesn't have access to, like, that land yeah. area. That might be a, a more yeah. tidy thing for her to do. But like I said, we always recommend talking to your extension agent because they have the best information for our they particular do. area. So I would recommend, you know, contacting in a Blue Earth County. It's Shane, and he's great. He has He's very knowledgeable and great to chat with, so... And um, you'll just find them in those, uh, not the yellow pages, but in the business section. And if you look under Blue Earth County offices, they're listed there, Minnesota Extension. Or you could Google it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Well, absolutely. That'll work, too. Yeah. And if she has more questions, just, um, you know, um, let us know. So, you know, we did have that type of composter up at um, Good Council in our community gardens. And um, I don't know what the story was for sure, but they stopped using it, and we we went back to having a big compost pile on the ground. And then everything that we put in there, they would come with a front loader, and they'd move it to a bigger pile in the back, which would be unsightly. Well, you get the the volume that way, yeah. Yeah, right, and then they could turn it with with one of those front loader things. Yeah, right, exactly. So it... it, um, that wasn't a good deal for us. And the other thing is, with something like that, um, you're going to have to shred it, too. It, you right. know, like you wouldn't put uh, whole tomato vines in there or anything like that. It has to be shredded down so it's in smaller. I mean, leaves are fine the way they are. Grass is fine the way they are. But if you're thinking of putting, um, you know, something that's very vine, viney or like you think of sunflower stalks. Those things are almost like bamboo. Oh, yeah. They <laughs> they take a long time to break down. Yes, they do. And, and even when you shred them down, they take a while. Hollyhocks, that's another one that takes a while. So, you know, uh, depending on what her needs are and if she's got the money. And, uh, yeah, I would I would get the handout from the extension office, and I would I would follow that. And, you know, when it gets really warm now, Things are going to really work fast in there because those barrels are plastic, and they they heat up really, really well. So, um, you know, go ahead and try it. Why not? Well, yeah, especially, and I also think this year they're they're doing the rain barrels through the county where they sell the rain barrels at a reasonable price, and I sure. encourage everyone to get those. You and I have saved so much water by rainwater oh, yeah. by coming off the house. I've got one on each corner, so I've got four of them, and I tell you what, we don't know if it's going to be a, a drier year or a wetter year, but regardless, that's an awesome way, and the plants just love that. Mm-hmm. The um, 
the Thank I guess the, the temperature of the the natural environment versus cold water. So that's sure, another thing to sure. check into, and they can help help you out at the extension with that as well. And no fluoride, nothing like that. You know, <clears throat> we were looking last week when we had that one nice day, and, and Dave said, you know, um, I almost thought about hooking up the rain barrels. Now, that's the thing about rain barrels. You have to unhook them for the winter and drain them, get rid of all the water. Otherwise, they'll freeze and they'll break in there. And then he said, you know, knowing uh, March the way it is, it's probably going to get cold again. And so we didn't do that. But uh, there is, yeah, I see all that snow melting off the roof. Yep. And I think, oh, man, I wish I could be saving that somehow if I had a nice big um, reservoir to put that in. That would be really great instead of it runs down my cement Barb, driveway. Barb, you should just go get a bunch of cow tanks and put them all over the yard and yeah. fill them up. <laughs> I'm sure your yeah. neighbors would love you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, we have this system where um, the, uh, the rain coming off from the roof and the snow on the house goes into our pond and then from our pond we have an overflow valve on that and so then it, it's dispersed out into by hose out into the perennial garden so that that's one way but that whole system is um you know there, there's ice in my pond yet it's right. around the edges it yeah. is melting yeah so uh so that will work when that warms up just a little bit more but it hasn't happened so far well, Barb, it's always great to chat with you. We are out of time, but uh, I guess, are you going to be starting some seeds inside this weekend, perhaps? Nope, not nope, yet. Nope, not yet, okay. I'm still, you know, I like to hold back. Oh, hey, by the way, 4.37 tomorrow morning, spring starts. Oh, that's <laughs> right. So we are very close, but yes. that doesn't mean you should run out and start planting yet, but it just means it's a it's a right. date that sounds happy spring, yes. Yeah. Happy spring to you, Karen. Right. Thanks, Barb. Chat with you oh. later. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks a lot. Bye. Our good friend Barb Lampson. And it is two minutes past 10. You're listening to a Minnesota Morning on the Maverick at KMSU Radio 89.7 FM in Mankato. And KMSK 91.3 FM in Austin. Online at KMSU.org. Broadcasting from the campus of Minnesota State University, Mankato. Big ideas and real world thinking. So let's see, we've got a temp now that's gone up to 38, should reach a high of 52 and sunny today, melting most of that snow, and tomorrow will be at 58, but very 